So James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Good morning. Well, as Libby reminded us, uh, today we're continuing our teaching series looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how, as the church, we are to be Jesus to the rest of the world. So the character of Jesus is reproduced within us through the, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. But then also there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the abilities that Jesus demonstrated, which are given to the church in order that we might reproduce the works of Jesus. And every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And our job is to discover what those gifts are and then use them in the church, but also in the world. And this morning we're looking at the spiritual gift of wisdom. Now, in the world, in our culture, we've got used to seeing something and taking two very different views on it. I mean, the internet has been amazing for all that we can do, uh, but primarily for the amount of time that we can waste looking at things like this. So a few years ago, there was the dress. So some people saw the dress as gold and white, and some people saw the dress as blue and black. And by the miracles of modern science, you see both. How is that possible? Ooh, how is Dave doing this? I know you're asking that with my dodgy phone. Gone? I'll take it out and start again. Try to the radio mic. Yeah, I'll be I'll use number one, because that'll be easier. So, um, gold and white and blue and black. And then a few years went by, and the, the trainer came on. And some people saw this as grey and aqua, and some people see it as pink and white. Grey and aqua? Pink and white? Okay. Neither. Specsavers is that way. <laughs> then this week on social media, there's been a, something around more, can, well, Christian circles. There's been a huge debate about that wedding sermon. Was the gospel preached or wasn't the gospel preached? We all heard the same thing for 13 minutes. That's all it lasted. Some people thought it lasted 40, but it was only 13 minutes. 
but there's been a huge debate about whether the gospel was preached. I think if two billion people hear about the love of God, the gospel has been preached. Um, and now there's a new one, which is a sound one, the Laurel or Yanni. And apparently this is something you can go when you're at home, not now, when you're at home, when you're after this service, you can go home and listen to this sound recording. And some people hear the word Laurel, and some people hear the word Yanni. Now, I'm told that if it's all about the sound frequency, and if you're of a certain age, above the age of 30 to 35, you hear Laurel. And if you are younger than that and your hearing is still good, you hear the word Yanni. And one person has put it together and you, he can, you can hear it go from Laurel to Yanni and then back to Laurel. And it's all to do with the frequency of the sound. In the same way that the dress and the trainer is all about the frequency of light that's getting into our eyes. This is all to do with the sound frequency. And we, we're hearing the same thing, but we're not hearing the same thing. So two things, two views on the same issue. Sometimes that can be funny, like that. Sometimes it can be unhelpful. We saw that over Brexit. We saw it over the Scottish independence issue as well. Two very different views, not always helpful. Well, in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, there are two things that are set against each other, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. One is wisdom, and the other is foolishness. And time and time again, through the Bible, Old and New Testament, these two things are set against each other, wisdom and folly. And the contrast is drawn between these two ways of living, either living a life that's full of wisdom or a life that is full of foolishness. Perhaps the best example, or perhaps the best known example, um, that Libby probably heard on that beach mission in 1988 in Yorkshire uh, when she was singing, This is the Day the Lord Has Made, um, is the parable of the man who built his house upon the rock and the man who built his house upon the sand. And the bad news is that Libby probably knows a song about that as well. And even now she's doing the actions. Yes, bless her. And Jesus told this story about a man who built his house upon the rock and a man who built his house upon the sand. And the wise man built his house upon the rock. And when the winds came and the storm came, the house stood firm. Just turn your weight with actions again. And then the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and then the storms came and the wind came and the house fell. <laughs> That's a sort of reflex reaction. That is, oh, I've got to clap at this point. The house fell flat. And part of the problem is that we've used that particular Bible passage, that story that Jesus told, and we've used it, and we think that it's about people out with the church. We think that it's aimed at people who are outside the church. But there's only one problem with that. That is not the way Jesus told that particular story. The way that Jesus told that particular story was to people who were inside the faith community. The people who were listening to Jesus tell that story were good, faithful Jews. And Jesus said that it's not about whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not. 
the contrast is between people who hear the words of Jesus and ignore them. They're the foolish ones. And then there are the people who hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice, and they are the wise ones. And that's the contrast that Jesus himself draws between the wise and foolish builders. Kenneth Bailey, who is something of a, a mid-eastern scholar, points out the reality behind that particular parable. In Palestine, villages apparently still build in the summer. In winter, the rains come and the ridge that Jerusalem, Hebron, and Bethlehem are built on does get occasional snow, and nobody, therefore, wants to build in the winter. The summer provides warm, dry days, but there's a downside. The soil, heavy with clay, is absolutely rock-solid. And so Bailey says it's easy to imagine the summer builder building a one-level house in the sun on the hard clay. And he might build uh, walls up that are about seven feet high, secure in the sun. But then, in the autumn and the winter, the rains come and the ground gets soaked. The clay turns to consistency of chocolate pudding. The walls bulge. The stones literally pop out of the walls and the house disintegrates. And Bailey says, contrast that with a house where the builder doesn't take any shortcuts, where foundations are dug, whether they're one inch or ten feet deep, onto the rock which is there everywhere underneath the surface in Palestine. The rains come, but that house stands firm. Jesus says, people who hear my words but don't put them into practice are the foolish ones. But those who hear my words and put them into practice... They are the wise ones. They're the ones who live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And here in James, in that passage that Morag read for us a few moments ago, Jesus' brother, James, goes again and again over the fact that we must put the words of Jesus into action. And that wisdom has to be seen in someone's life. Wisdom has to be seen in someone's life. There were people around in the early church, and even today they exist still in today's church, that say that what is really important, what really matters, is what you know, is what you believe. That knowing the right things about God, knowing even creedal things, doctrinal things about God, is what really matters. Now, those things are important, but what James says is that those things are important, but what really matters is that you put those things into practice. That echoing the words of his older brother, Jesus, people should see in your life and my life that there is a difference. That wisdom should be seen in the way in which we live our lives. So we see in this, this passage in James chapter 3 and verses 13 to 17, three or four factors, features about wisdom. And the first one, James says, is that wisdom should be seen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let them show it by their good life. This isn't referring to a 1980s sitcom about self-sufficiency, the good life that James is talking about here, neither is it speaking about something that's moral or nice. 
The word that's used for good has elements of attractiveness or wholesomeness or helpfulness. So what James is saying is that when we live good lives, those lives should be attractive, they should be wholesome, they should be helpful, that people should see a difference in the way in which that you and I live if we claim to be followers of Christ. And so that the wisdom that we have isn't just expressed in this attractive goodness, but secondly, James says, it's expressed in humility. Self-subduing gentleness, both to God and people. The Greeks in the ancient world thought that meekness was something bad. Humility involved meanness and groveling. It was, if you like, a sort of Uriah Heap approach to humility. Your very humble servant. It wasn't very attractive. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't very good. The early church, primarily through the person of Jesus, totally changed the perspective on humility said that humility was a really good thing, that humility actually was, was the highest of all the virtues. In that amazing uh, passage in Philippians chapter 2 that speaks about Jesus emptying himself, becoming humble, demonstrating real humility. And what James then does in this passage is, is contrast this wisdom which is shown in humility with the, the wisdom or the humility that the ancient world thought about. That wisdom led to jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition. Interestingly here, James sets truth and divisiveness against each other. Often, even in today's church, truth is used as a reason, as an excuse for division. James says, no, truth will always unite people. Truth will bring people together. Truth will restore and repair relationships if it is demonstrated with humility. So wisdom is seen, wisdom is expressed in humility, and then he doesn't mince his words in verses 15 to 17. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And those are quite strong words for James. Unearthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And he contrasts that with the humble wisdom that God gives. And he uses these amazing descriptions of the wisdom that God gives. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy, it's impartial, and it's sincere. Now think of a person that you think has got the spiritual gift of wisdom. It might be in this church, it might be in another church that you belonged to in the past. It might have been a church leader in the past. And I would guess that that description fits. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial and sincere. That is somebody with the gift of wisdom. Somebody who, when they say something in a situation, in a context, in a meeting, everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Oh, that's what we need to do. 
They bring truth. They bring light into a situation. And they do it with humility, and they do it with gentleness, and they do it with a clarity where they're open to reason, where they're open to being wrong, but they offer it in humility. And true wisdom, James says in verse 18, leads to peacemaking. It's striking that James mentions humility or meekness and then speaks about people of wisdom being peacemakers, not peacekeepers, but peacemakers. When someone has the gift of wisdom and brings the right word and the right perspective at the right time, in the right situation, in the right context, in the right way, it brings peace into a situation. Again, maybe you can think of a time Maybe there's been a discussion, maybe in your connect group, maybe in a church context, maybe even in a work context, and somebody has said something, and again, everybody in the room, everybody in the office has just gone, oh, that's what we should do. It's, sometimes it can be sanctified common sense, but sometimes it just comes out of the blue. No one else has seen it. And then all of a sudden, this, this person sees it. I think of another church that I worked at. Um, and we'd, we have the vestry. Um, in this particular church, it's south of the border, in the Anglican church, it's called the Parochial Church Council. And uh, it had between 35 and 40 people on it. And so its meetings were not short. And some of the discussions were quite long. And we would be going round and round and round and round. Never happens at P's and G's vestry meetings. But we'd be going round and round and round. And then there was this one particular person called Richard. And after we'd been going round and round and round the houses and people giving opinions about this and that, after about 40 to 45 minutes, Richard would just say, I just wonder whether we should do this. And the whole of the rest of the room would go, of course we should do it. Why hasn't anybody else suggested that before? That's genius. That's brilliant. And we would all look across the room at Richard and have two thoughts in our mind. One, you are an amazing man of God. And two, why didn't you say that 45 minutes ago? <laughs> But he would offer it gently and with humility and with real wisdom and grace and generosity. And it happened again and again and again and again because he had the spiritual gift of wisdom. And it led to peace. That group of people at times could be quite fractious. When Richard spoke, it brought peace into the room. It brought a unity into the room. James makes that link between meekness, humility, and wisdom, possibly because he's remembering a talk that his older brother gave when he was teaching about 5,000 people on the mount, a sermon on the mount, and he spoke about blessed are the meek and blessed are the peacemakers. And so we have this spiritual gift of wisdom defined in this way in the network course that starts a week on Wednesday. The network course defines the spiritual gift of wisdom as this, the divine enablement to apply spiritual truth effectively to meet a need in a specific situation. And if we're honest, it's one of those spiritual gifts that can be undervalued. 
partly because often people with the spiritual gift of wisdom are very humble. And it's not until we're in a jam or we're in a crisis or we're in a conflict situation that we ask for wisdom. I mean, people will ask, you know, Lord, give me the gift of speaking in tongues, give me miracles, uh, give me prophecy. Not many people will say, Lord, please give me the spiritual gift of wisdom. But it's one of the gifts that we need because in our world, and often sadly in the church, we lack wisdom. And the people who have these gifts are often humble, peaceable, gentle, submissive, and sincere, just like Richard was. Some of you have this spiritual gift. Some of you in this church have this spiritual gift. And I've been privileged enough to be in meetings with you and in different situations where you've exercised this gift. Where there's been a discussion, maybe in a connect group, maybe on the vestry, maybe in a different subgroup of the church, and a subject is raised and people are talking about it and then somebody suddenly says something and everybody in the room relaxes and goes, that's what we should do. Some of you exercise this gift in the workplace. Some of you are the ones who in an office context, in a business context, perhaps in a legal context or in the health service or in a school, you have this spiritual gift of wisdom and you use it in the workplace. That's allowed. It's not cheating. Okay? If the Holy Spirit lives inside you on a Sunday, he doesn't leave you when you go out of the door. And God is able to use your spiritual gifts outside of the church. And in fact, some people reckon primarily that's where some of them should be exercised. So some of you exercise the spiritual gift of wisdom in a church context. Some of you exercise that spiritual gift of wisdom in a work context. You know at different times, and it seems to you like common sense. It seems to you that you can't understand why everybody else in the room can't see what you see. And if you offer it humbly, gently, generously, meekly, that's you using your spiritual gift of wisdom. And maybe some of us this morning need to ask for wisdom. James, in his first chapter, says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And maybe this morning you're in a situation where you need wisdom. You're in a circumstance at the moment where you have a choice in front of you. And you genuinely do not know what to do. Well, you're allowed to ask God this morning for wisdom. And it might come directly to you or it might come to a friend. It might come to somebody that you're sitting alongside. It might come to someone in your connect group. It might come to somebody in the prayer ministry team. That's why we have a prayer ministry team, because they will offer to pray for you, to listen to God with you. It might come in the form of a picture, because we're Anglicans, and God gives Anglicans pictures. It might come in the form of an impression. It might come in the form of a feeling. It might come in the form of a verse from the Bible. It might come 
in just a general, I wonder if. We're not talking about the person who prays for you or with you, telling you what you should do, controlling you, taking away your freedom of choice. That's not what this is about. The, the, those gifts of the Spirit that are used in that particular way, prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge, they can be misused. But that's not what this is about. This is about this gift being offered freely and humbly and generously and saying, I just wonder if God might be saying this to you. So it may be this morning that that's you. You are in a place where you need wisdom. Maybe you're in a conflict situation. Maybe at work, maybe in your family, maybe in a friendship. And you need wisdom because you're just, you've reached an impasse. You just don't know what to do. You don't know what direction to take. It might be in an employment situation. It might be relational. It might be health-wise. You just don't know what to do. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So maybe this morning, we all need to ask for wisdom.